With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Dr. Simon. And as usual, my show involves the stories we live by. And tonight I'm really doing something very different. And I realize, without realizing it, that the last few shows that I've talked about psychotherapy, what it is and its limitations, uh, were leading up to this particular show. And let me, let me put this first in personal terms. Uh, I am frightened, more than just frightened, uh, by what I see in terms of the polarization and the literal warfare between the political parties uh, and at so many levels of society. It's kind of chicken and egg. Uh, Who leads who? But they're all of a piece. And what we see at this point uh, is tribalization. And I want to talk just again a moment about tribalization. We emerged from uh, our evolutionary phase as tribal animals, because without each other, without the capacity to nurture each other and ward off those uh, others who would take our food, our water, and our lives, uh, we would not survive. Uh, the, the warfare that exists between tribes very often takes certain psychological dimensions, and I've talked about this before, but I want to review it. Those within the tribe see each other as humans. Uh, If they have theory of mind, they recognize uh, that everybody gets hungry, everybody's afraid of dying, everybody has to uh, uh, feel an empathy and a loyalty to the others within the tribal system. Uh, The tribal system is hierarchical in which leaders uh, uh, are selected because they seem to have to people in the tribe the qualities and the properties that will allow the tribe to uh, nurture itself, survive, and and flourish. The leaders within most of the tribes I've studied, and I mean this as either tribes or literal tribes or the political tribes and the social tribes that so define human life, very often self-aggrandize. They uh, see themselves as better than those within the tribe within the power, with, the, with the power that they have. Um, and they require, apparently, a great deal of emotional support, in part, and love, but in part because with all that power comes awesome and endless levels of responsibility. 
And one of the questions I'll ask tonight of Senator Marco Rubio is, do you ever become awed and frightened by the responsibility that uh, has been given to you as a leader of a state and part of the federal government uh, that has to protect its citizens within the group from whatever enemies there might exist from outside the group. The second aspect of life within the tribe, psychologically, that concerns me, is the capacity for those in one tribe to dehumanize and demonize those of the other tribe. And some of the greatest horrors occur when individuals within the group who are seen as not loyal or as members of the external tribe, men of the external group, are no longer seen as human beings uh, who can have the same rights and privileges uh, as those uh, who are still humanized in the views of their fellows. Um, and when they are demonized, that is, they're not only seen as not human, but as some kind of a monster that can't be reasoned with, that can't be talked to, and therefore has to be vanquished, put out, or, if necessary, killed. And what frightens me about the particular situation now is that I'm watching the kind of leaders we now have, the man who is president of the United States, uh, a man with endless capacity to demonize and dehumanize anybody who uh, thwarts him, who suggests he is not the smartest, the bravest, the most powerful individual on the face of the earth, who by himself can do all the deals that will make the society and our tribe rich uh, and continued powerful. And those individuals uh, uh, who hierarchically organize themselves under him, who pay homage, do not question, and seem to go along with whatever he feels is the correct way to go. And those who are in the other tribe, and in this case, those who are still Americans and who are still human, really are to be blamed for anything that goes wrong, can do nothing right. And, and this is uh, uh, now coupled at the social level, at the lower social level, with the notion that we're all in danger from each other because we are all somehow monsters. And we must arm ourselves to the teeth and slaughter and kill those dehumanized and demonized beings who seem to threaten us. So that I don't see any real discussion that goes on between the political parties. They hunker down on their own terms and, and, and uh, blame the other for all that might go wrong while self-aggrandizing and raising themselves to a level of perfection. Now, I've always noticed that about politicians, the sense that they are uh, impervious to criticism, but they're human beings. And I don't understand, do they really believe and do they really accept that this is so? 
Why is it so difficult to say I'm sorry? Is it in part because those lower on the hierarchy, those at the bottom of the hierarchy who have such faith in their leaders would be upset and unable to accept that they're merely human? There's a piece of psychology I really don't understand. And part of it is I don't know any politicians. I see it on television. Now, there's a second reason I do this show. Because as a psychologist, I have been working for over 50 years with people who have been dehumanized and demonized. And when they come seeking treatment, it's because of the misery of self-hatred and rage against the world uh, that has resulted from being and internalizing a view of themselves as unworthy, as not quite human, as not deserving of, of the happiness that they see others uh, 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 having in their lives. And the process I call psychotherapy, and I put therapy in quotes all the time, is that I'm not curing anything, and I'm not doing something to somebody or with somebody that is deficient, but engaging in a discussion that is free of those judgments, that is free of hierarchy, except for the fact that we both assume, if I can help somebody, that I know something that they don't know that might be useful for them to know, and that the process is non-coercive and non-hierarchical and involves dealing with description and facts rather than judgments that act as if they're facts that can explain the behavior of the self and others. And after 50 years, I'm convinced that when the right person sits with the right person, when they're both motivated and they can both hold to a democratic, civil, open conversation that talks about what happened rather than who's to blame and who's at fault and who deserves punishment and who deserves death. Wonderful things can happen from my value system, and it's always a value system. Uh, I have said many times in my show, I believe that democracy, which is not a perfect way to live, uh, I agree with Winston Churchill, it's the only way to live. Because it reduces hierarchy, it reduces demonization and dehumanization, and allows people a sense of choice, that they can work out a balance between their obligation and loyalty to the tribe and their obligation and loyalty to their own individual desires and needs. One of my last shows had to do with the limits of psychotherapy which I said occur under two conditions. One, when the therapist's own needs prevent him from seeing what the needs are of the person with whom he works, the people with whom they work. And the second is when the society is awash with so much authoritarianism, totalitarianism, hierarchical thinking, Loyalty to the leader that needs not ever be questioned. When it's all labels and attacks and defense. And the therapist gets caught up in that, 
then his or her ability to understand diminishes and disappears. And since the election of Donald Trump, many of the people I know, including myself, have been so overwhelmed with anxiety and fear and anger. And this is not only good, not good for me as a citizen, it's not good for me as a person and as a psychologist. And so what I decided to do was to stop merely sending Marco Rubio, who is my senator in Florida, it's one of the reasons I chose him, to be an avatar, an exemplar of this, uh, and stop calling him, uh, telling him what I do believe are, are, are his sins, uh, uh, his silence in the face of one slaughter after another, another one today I understand in California, many of them using uh, military-grade uh, uh, weaponry, machine guns, assault weapons, that I believe very firmly should only be in the hands of, of uh, the military, well-trained military, who then are only sent to kill and be killed when there's a real purpose and real threat to the society they live in, rather than the wishes and needs of the leader uh, who, who uh, and the leaders all through history who have started one war after another, sending people to die under the sham of, of threat when it is for their self-aggrandizement and for their glory, their personal egos. And so I invited Senator Rubio to come on the show tonight without much hope of, of uh, him coming, although I would have certainly been very happy uh, to have a respectful and civil discussion with him. But what I did was think about doing what I saw Clint Eastwood do uh, about Obama many years ago, some years ago, in which he sat and he talked to an empty chair. And in this case, I'm not going to insult, as he did, the empty chair, but ask the kind of questions that, if answered one way or another, would give me an insight into the human being that I'm talking to, not the politician, you see, not the politician who remains within the hierarchy, who remains uh, uh, fixed on the values and the talking points that the party has, has uh, the tribal party has suggested are the ones they have to tell the public and tell themselves. And so I have these questions that I've worked out, and I, I hope that they sound civil, and I hope that, uh, uh, that they, if answered, would add insight into my understanding of Marco Rubio, not as merely a politician, but as a whole human being. Because I don't see that from most of the politicians I see. We, we are just, we are, whatever we are as part of a mob, of part of a hierarchy, not human beings. And so my first question uh, to, Dr., to Senator Rubio is, you chose the life of a politician, which at this point is a life of attack and defend. You are attacked 
and you have to defend yourself. And in return, you attack while they defend. Judgments are made. Anger occurs. Rage. Hatred across tribal lines, which in this case involve only Americans. How does that feel? Senator, how does that feel to you as the private person who now inhabits that role? Do you experience a difference between who you are at home with your family and who you are on a world stage? Stand with your colleagues, denounce the people on the other side, and remain silent in the face of whatever uh, horrors occur, uh, politically and socially. I need to understand that, and only you can explain it. You are involved at this point in a process, a political process, in which civility is disappearing. Do you ever feel that this life you have was a mistake? Do you ever wish that you could say something that would open up dialogues between you and the other Americans who are now part of the monsters as they're being portrayed, who only lie? who only produce fake news. Does this worry you? What does that feel like? In effect, is there a self and a story that's at deviance with the political self and the sto- that you show and the story that you tell? <clears throat> and these are questions... One of the things that seems to be true about being a politician is that the finances are enormous. The endless advertising that uh, aggrandizes the self and vilifies and dehumanizes the opposition are very expensive. There seems to be nothing, increasingly nothing, except attack ads. You have to beg for this money. What do you owe those who give you the large sums of money? Do you ever wish that perhaps the American people themselves would finance the election so that you would not be beholden to powerful people? Do you always agree with the people that give you money? Just recently, and I'm going to talk to you about, ask you questions about guns and gun violence in just a short bit. Do you ever feel that your own personal opinion really differs from the talking points of the NRA? What happens when you accept large, very large sums of money to to, uh, get their support so you can put on ads? Is that you? Is that your real self? Or is that what you have to do to keep your job within the present climate? Do you ever worry that it's doing something to you as a human being that at one point in your life you would have thought, no, I would never do that? Okay. The 
I'd like to know your thoughts about dealing with President Trump. And go back to the debate that you had with him that ended up in a contest as to whose hands were the biggest or the smallest, which were metaphors for whose penis and genitals were the the largest and the most manly. Do you ever regret engaging in that level of discourse? What motivated you to continue doing it? What is your idea of success that would allow you, as a decent human being, to publicly make that kind of a display? Did you realize at the time you were dealing with an individual who was a master of attack and defense, who, from my point of view, only knows attack and defense? Humiliate the other, dehumanize the other, make their message, make their voice to have no legitimacy whatsoever, and at the same time engage in the most shameless self-aggrandizement that I've ever seen any individual, either personally or publicly, engage in. How did you deal with that on an emotional level? Are you sorry that you allowed yourself to be drawn in to a contest that you had to lose because you're not a master, as I can see it, of attack, defend, and slaughter the enemy, demoralize and dehumanize? Only you could answer those questions and I certainly would be obligated to understand it because what I watch in the current political process so fascinates and terrifies me that I can't even put it into words. Would you do it again? If the same scenario could be replayed, and it might be in 2020, 2024, you're a young man. You may still harbor the ambition to be the president of the United States and stand on the largest world stage in human history. Would you do it again the same way? Would you do it differently? And how would you do it differently? What would you have learned from what happened in that debate that effectively, as I can see it, ended? Ended. You are any chance of reaching the presidency with those individuals who are part of the tribe in our country that is so wounded and so hurt that hatred of the other seems to be the prime motivating factor in how they think and how they act. And again, brings me to guns. Because within a climate of dehumanization and demonization, the angry people in our society who have access to guns, especially military-grade weapons, can act increasingly and with impunity to give themselves enormous power, the power of God over those that they slaughter, the power of life and death, 
when an individual in a few minutes from a hotel window can shoot down over 600 people, killing over 50, wounding and killing more people than in World War II who jumped behind the German lines in the Normandy invasion, we indeed seem to have an enormous problem. Do you see this as a problem? What answer do you see? Because the answer that I hear politically from your tribe is, let everybody have more guns, which clearly assumes let everybody have more access to attack weapons. Imagining what? A firefight? A firefight? Do guns and the mass slaughters that you remain silent on, except for, like all the rest of the politicians, we pray for your souls. We pray for healing on the part of the destroyed families. Your internal wish, another self say, there has to be another way and we have to stop this killing. And maybe the stopping of the killing, the mass killing, where in a church in Texas, within 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 26 lie dead and another 25 lie wounded, maimed, all these hundreds of people within a family destroyed. Is that the only way? What motivates your silence? Are you in effect, condoning the violence and truly believe if somebody of the parishioners in the church had access to an AR attack weapon of some kind, the, the outcome would somehow have been better? I read an article this uh, week in the New York Times by a Richard Parker. It's an opinion piece. Uh, which, according to your president, would have to be considered fake news. Uh, but I don't find much fake about it. Uh, Richard Parker is the author of Lone Star Nation, How Texas Will Transform America. And the article is called The Christian Case for Gun Control. And he describes the fact that the church in Texas, which has been there for 100 years, is going to be bulldozed. And we have prayers for the dead and prayers for the living, but that's all that's going to do. It's going to happen. This is what America's response to mass homicide has come to. We don't remove the killing machines that have put thousands of Americans in their graves or hospital beds in this century. But we do demolish the first Baptist church that stood at this lonely crossroads for nearly a hundred years. It is this doomed site rooted in the black soil that cries out for people of faith to act. And I believe, and I be not amiss, that you are a religious individual, that you are, I think, Catholic, and that you take your Catholicism seriously. So I want to read to you uh, what to me is the, the uh, central paragraph in this long, rather beautiful story. I won't pretend, uh, well, he, he talks about 
Uh, why does God, what does God want? It is the same cry that Jesus let out from the cross as darkness spread across the land. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me now? I won't pretend to know the mind of God so that all I can offer is the simple guess at what he would say. Stop the killing. Of course, killing will never end completely. We are imperfect creatures of free will and prone to sin. The absence of good as well as, the, as beauty. But that is the categorically different from allowing the proliferation of machines solely designed to kill large numbers of people quickly, machines that bear no more resemblance to a rifle than a nuclear weapon does to a firework. And the sin of omission, doing nothing is nearly as bad as the murder itself. Senator, do you agree with his statement? Somewhere in your in a heart, do you agree? And if you do, what's to be done? What are you to be done? What are you to do? What are we to do that you ask us to do? Is it simply buy more guns and arm ourselves so that we can consider ourselves the good guys when we open fire in a crowd or in a church or a temple or a school to protect ourselves and the others we care for? I don't understand it. And I'm sorry that you're not here to explain it to me. That show me what your mind is. And at the same time, talk about where you, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, stand in terms of this statement. And what I have written to you in which I suggest that you and all of us who do nothing about those weapons have blood on our hands. So, I don't know what else. Do you know who you are at some point? Do you ever wonder who you've become? Is it a self that you're most proud of as your best self, your most loving and beautiful self, which somehow I know you and I would agree is our goal and what we might call mental health, to be creative. I'm sorry you're not here. I would like to get to know you. I would like to get to know and understand because I'm tired of being angry and I'm tired of being frightened and I'm tired of listening to my friends and myself bewail our situation as the country we love and we do love sinks into chaos and mass shootings as we lose civility and we lose all sense of, of, of perspective about what is good and what is factually true. So, you took an oath. I don't know how you feel about that oath, so I would ask you, how do you interpret it? How do you see it? I think I've done enough tonight. I wish you good health. I wish you long life. Uh, I have to say I don't understand you. 
I'm going to try very hard not to judge you, but I will continue to send you email after email because I have no doubt that the slaughter that's going on now is only going to continue. And as a, 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 a study showed in the New York Times, in any society, the rate of murder by guns is directly correlated and related to the number of guns in the society. We're not going to get them out of the hands of the mentally ill because there is no such thing as illness. There are, in fact, people who are angry and frustrated. And usually as a result of their own upbringing, do not look out at the world and see beauty, but see horror. Do not see themselves as creative, loving individuals, but as victims steeped in anger and seeking some form of power and revenge over their torturers. Thank you for being in the empty chair tonight. Uh, I feel better when I do this. In fact, this is therapeutic for me because it helps me move from a position of fear and rage and a loss of faith a total loss of faith in a political process to somebody who feels he has a direction and a way of speaking out about what I see from the point of view of myself as a human being, the point of view of trying to be a moral person, and the training that I am so grateful for to become a psychologist. So I will stay online for the next couple of minutes. And uh, if anybody wants to call in, you can call in, by the way, at 646-716-7756, 646-716-7756, and I would be delighted to hear from you and have a discussion with you in which we try to answer questions about what goes on, what is going on, without blame, without labels, but trying to understand one another and where we can move the understanding from one human being to another human being as equals and having equal right to live, laugh, love, from being monsters to each other who dehumanize and demonize each other. No takers tonight, but that's okay. Give it another minute. I'm going to go have a little ice cream, watch some television with my wife, and hope it doesn't rain hard tomorrow to interfere with my golf game where I can go out and make another fool of myself on the links. Okay. I will end this episode and wish all of us very good luck. Good night.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.